This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. NBA Sound System Live, up and running, and as the title of the show says, it is L-I-V-E, live. Carlin Gay, Scott Rafferty, we are ready to roll, and Scott, we are in good moods. We are in good moods. Um, everything is is going well. The NBA is in good shape post-trade deadline. Lots of interesting things are happening. Now we, uh, now we kind of get to look forward to the playoffs, which is always exciting. So yeah, good times. I joked that it was your uh, your most favorite time of the year. A week ago, the trade deadline. You love this stuff. You love oh. when transactions happen and and imagining new players on new teams. And we now we have that. So, do you feel like a, a sugar rush sugar rush calm down now? Is this, is there uh, <laughs> what happened? How are you feeling after the weekend? Yeah, I, I love this stuff because it, it. You know, we, we talked about it a little bit, but it didn't. At one point, it didn't seem like it was going to be a very busy or active trade deadline. And I feel like that's been said the last few trade deadlines. And then at the last minute, everything just goes crazy. So um, it, it wasn't a huge surprise to me that it was a busy trade deadline. But I, I just love that lead up. I love to see what teams do, how they adjust going into this final stretch run. And I also just love to see the games afterwards and how these new guys fit into different systems. Um, you know, do, do they look like the player that we thought they could be in that system? And then also how it changes the makeup of the team. And I'm sure we're going to we're going to talk about a few of those teams here now. Um, now that the trade deadline is over with. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into uh, the impact of the trade deadline. We're also going to talk about uh, Nikola Jokic, one of your favorite players in the NBA yep. uh, and, and his quest to become an MVP. I don't think many people had Jokic on their ballots at the beginning of the year as the guy who would maybe be the MVP. But uh, right now, I, I find a hard time thinking about who else it could possibly be outside of him. But we'll discuss that in depth in a little bit. Let's start with the deadline and uh, who won the deadline. Do you have a winner of the entire trade deadline? Because it was the busiest in in NBA history. There was a lot of transactions, Mm -hmm. a lot of players going from here to there. Maybe not the big name that we expected, and we'll get to him in a little bit, but was there a clear-cut winner of the NBA trade deadline? Yeah, there is. And this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone who listened to our podcast. Was it two weeks ago because this is the one trade I wanted to see happen and the Nuggets are winners of the trade deadline because they got Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic in a deal that I think was very fair for them they didn't have to give up too much to get him and I think Aaron Gordon just in that system I think he's just perfect I think he's just what they needed offensively as long as he kind of buys in to kind of filling in the gaps on that end of the court you know unlocking him as a cutter next to Nikola Jokic Um, being able to space the floor at a decent rate. He's a pretty good passer. We saw all those things in his debut with the Nuggets. Um, He also had just one absurd pass to Michael Porter Jr. um, when he cut from the wing to the basket and then just like flung it over his shoulder to MPJ for a a three that he knocked down and got fouled on. So I, I just love his versatility offensively for this Nuggets team that has a very clear one and two in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and being able to just have someone else like a Swiss Army knife to, to round everything together. And then defensively too. Um, I, I think that's the big thing that this team misses compared to last season when they had Jeremy Grant. And look, Jeremy Grant wasn't someone who was locking down LeBron James, Anthony Davis, all those different, a Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. 
that that wasn't necessarily what he was doing but having a big wing who first of all can guard multiple positions but two you can throw them out on those players and it's just not a complete mismatch like they're not just going to get bulldozed every single time and I think that's the one thing this team was missing when they lost Grant and they weren't able to replace him. And Aaron Gordon should be able to fill that role. So he's going to take on those matchups in the playoffs, which which should take some pressure off of them defensively. Obviously, we know this Nuggets team is an offensive firepower, high firepower on offense team, but they're going to need to be able to defend at a decent rate to compete for a championship or make a run to the Western Conference Finals again. So I, I just, on both ends of the court, I love the addition of Aaron Gordon and Considering that I think that could shape the Western Conference title race a little bit, I think that makes them clear winners to me. I would have agreed with you. Um, up until our Gil McGregor over at NBA.com Global um, brought it to my attention oh, that the go. reason why Aaron Gordon go. picked the number 50 was because he's leaning into this whole 50 thing with him being the uh, the one guy in uh, in slammed up contest history with the most fifties that hadn't won the championship yet, like stop it, Mister Fifty. I, I I can't I can't I can't get down with him. So I uh, the Nuggets would have been clear cut winners to me, but on that alone, I will not <laughs> give them the number one spot. They will slide to number two, and the winners of the trade deadline for me uh, will be the Portland Trailblazers and uh, and their ability to get a walking bucket in Norman Powell. I think the world of Norman Powell, and I think that he is in the perfect situation for him at this point in his career to maximize his potential. Um, the Blazers are on a four-game winning streak, or three-game winning streak, rather, um, two two in a row so far with, with uh, Powell in the lineup. Obviously, they got the better of his former team, the Raptors. Uh, he went out and, and helped them get past the Magic in his first game there, and that game was without Damian Lillard. They play the Pistons on uh, Wednesday the 31st, if you're listening to this a little bit later, and then we really start to find out how good this Blazers team is. Uh, they'll have the Bucks the Clippers, and the Jazz uh, over the next five games. So I think we'll truly quickly get a quick snapshot of where this Blazer team is. And if they're able to get through that minefield uh, unscathed and and look good doing it, I think they can really make some noise in the playoffs because this is a team that I was high on, Scott, at the beginning of the season with the Mm -hmm. moves that they made to shore up their defense uh, because they had no problem scoring. We knew that, right? Like We knew that Damian Lillard will fill it up. CJ McCollum looked like an MVP candidate the first 10 games into the season. He wasn't playing at an extremely high level. And Nurkic, whenever he gets hurt, he comes back and looks like he never misses a beat. He has that uncanny ability to to walk off the, the bench uh, from street clothes, go into the game, and it just looks like he's still the same player as when he left. It, it, there's no grace period with him. And then you add Norman Powell to that, they're going to be able to score. But Robin Covington, who's uh, I think people have been a little bit down on his defense uh, this season um, because he hasn't made the impact that I think most expected him to make to the Blazers. That just goes to show you how bad they were defensively. And Derek Jones Jr. is the same. I think Norm Powell's a little bit better of a defender than most people think, or at least has the ability to do that, and especially in the team concept. So when you have you know three players like those three guys that I just named, and you, and you couple them with with Guys, I don't think Damian Lillard is a lockdown defender, but I think he can try. Um, same with CJ. I think they, they, they're, they're smart enough where they in a team concept they could figure it out. They shouldn't be as bad as they are defensively. And when they get into a postseason, um, the ability of throwing a Covington and Derek Jones and now Norman Powell on a the opposing team player and saying, you know, go out and stop them. 
And you really have uh, three guys there that should at least make things difficult and not as easy for some of these wing players in the Western Conference. And then we know that you know Dame and CJ are going to be able to fill it up. And that third score was the one score I think if you're Portland – you didn't always consistently get because some nights it was Carmelo, some nights it was Covington, some nights it was Nurkic. Now you have Norma Powell, who he's used to, you know, being able to break out as a third scorer. He's not going to have a problem breaking out as a third scorer and do it efficiently. So I really like what the Blazers did. Uh, it sucks that they had to give up such a young talent in Gary Trent, who who could eventually turn into the the, the Norm Powell that we see today, and he would have been a lot cheaper. I know the Blazers are paying a lot of money, and it's almost like a win now trade for them. So I think I, I think the naysayers will say that that this team still isn't a championship caliber team, but they have championship money attached to all these guys. I I agree with that. But I think it was a move that they had to make um, because the timeline matches up perfectly with where Norm Powell is versus where Gary Trent Jr. is. Uh, and, and sometimes you have to give up talent to get talent. And Norm Powell is going to fit on this roster. He, he feels like a Portland Trailblazer. Like he doesn't look out of place in that unit and in that offense. And he hasn't even practiced with them yet. So once you get some chemistry with these guys, I think the Blazers fan base is going to love Norman Powell. And I do think that it gets them a little bit closer to where they need to be. See, I, I still don't really know what to make of that trade for Portland. Because, like you said, offense is not a problem for this team. Like, even before the trade deadline, they ranked sixth in the league in offensive rating. And that's, bear in mind, with Nurkic being out for a long time and CJ McCollum being out for a long time. So their second and third best player, however you want to frame it, they were still a top six offensive team. Defense is the problem. Because even before the trade deadline, they ranked 29th in defensive rating. And like you said, I, Norman Powell is a, a capable defender, but he's still known much more for his offense. And I I just, for me, this feels like a little bit too much like leaning in that direction for them. And I know there were reports of the Blazers being interested in Aaron Gordon. And who knows if that if they were even in the running to make that trade. But for me, that's kind of the play I feel like they needed more. Because defensively, he would have made he would have been a big time addition for them on that end of the court. And then I also just think he fills in the gaps a little bit more offensively for what they need to do. Like having someone who can make plays out of the short roll when Damian Lillard gets trapped three feet, five feet beyond the three-point line because he has probably the best range in the league. I, I, I just, I, I don't know if, if Norm Powell really moves the needle that much for me for this team. And look, maybe I'm going to be proven wrong. I, I'm excited to see. I think this team's going to be really fun. Um, I, I think they could light up the rest of this regular season and really move up in the Western Conference standings. But I, I, I still, I, part of me just doesn't feel like Norman Powell is the addition they needed to kind of correct their problems for the playoffs. So I, 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 I'm, I'm intrigued by this trade and I'm very interested to see how it pans out for them because I'm, I'm just not quite as sold on it as you are. Yeah, I, I am. I'm all in. And, and if it was any other year, I'll say this, if it was any other year, I don't think I would feel as strongly as I do about this working out for the Blazers. Um, but I'm looking around the league, and we keep saying that uh, you know this is a big, one of the biggest explosions offensively as we've seen all year, and it feels like every team is starting to lean into offense a little bit more, and I know that defense is still important. You still need defense to win a championship, but I, I do feel like the Blazers will be able to get a stop or two when the game is on the line. I do feel that way when you add a Norm Powell to the lineup and you know Robert Covington and and uh, and and I'm really big on Derek Jones Jr. and I feel like this trade gave them the opportunity to play a style of basketball that I don't think they would have been able to play as efficiently offensively 
uh, had they had Gary Trent. I think they still would have been able to go small with Gary Trent, but this Norm Powell trade gives you a guy that can really guard a four. Uh, I, I, he has the size, at least, to, to, to guard a four, whereas Does he? Gary Trent might have been – he might have gotten bullied a little bit. Like Norm Powell – had it been able to, he, he, he's been in positions to hold his own, you know, playing in a Raptor small ball lineup before. He, he, he knows what it's like to switch with uh, and, and have to go and garden big. It, can he do it? I don't, I, I'm not saying that he's going to lock a big down, but I'm just saying he, he was in those situations when the Raptors' best lineup was that small ball five line. And this is essentially the same situation where the Blazers are, their best lineup might end up being their small ball five lineup. And I love Nurkic as much as anybody else, but. You know, it, when it comes down to it, you have to play different styles in the Western Conference. Uh, we saw that a year ago where the Lakers kind of supersized everyone, and the teams that couldn't get up to that size failed. And you know, when, when the Nuggets were able to, uh, you know, knock the the uh, the Clippers out, is because they just didn't have the, the big man size. So the, the the Blazers are able to play that big man size, but I I do feel like. If there was a, a unit like the Jazz or um, maybe the, even the Suns that you can get away with playing a little bit smaller, the Blazers might have struggled doing that. And now you have two ways that you can beat a team. It, the, the one way that they're always going to beat a team is offensively. But I, I just think that they have a small ball unit and a five that you're not going to be embarrassed about putting out there. And then they with Nurkic and hopefully Collins gets back, they can also supersize you. So I, I do feel like the, the most... This is the best team that they've had since they went to the Western Conference Finals, in my opinion. Um, and it, it, you know that defensively, you're still going to not be as good as you want to be. But offensively, you got a little bit better. You, you, you gave me the numbers, the sixth you know, most efficient offense in the league. If you're already sixth in the league, that means healthy, you're going to be a little bit better than that. And that's going to be tough to stop in the, uh, in, in, in the playoffs. So... Give me guys that can fill it up. I look over in the Eastern Conference and I look at the the, the, uh, the Nets. They're not rushing out to get top-end defenders. They're going to try and beat you with offense too. So there's multiple teams in the league that are going to try and beat you offensively this season at least. And I don't think it would work in any other season when you have practice time and all these things to prepare and, and really get your defense in order. And one thing I will say that, that Powell does bring to the Blazers, I think they – According to NBA.com stats, they have they run the second fewest possessions in transition per game this season. And I think Norman Powell is ranked like six in points per game in transition. So he does add that element to them. And we've seen that in the first couple of games where he, he, he can get up and down the court a little bit and add a different dimension to this team. The, the, the one thing I will say that's interesting about Powell is that he's only six foot three. Or he's listed at six foot three, and Gary Trent Jr. is listed at six five. Um Powell does have a little bit more size, but I, I don't know. It's that's just such a small backcourt between Dame, CJ, and Powell. And like you said, at least he has experience playing in a small backcourt because the Raptors play an even smaller backcourt with uh, Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet. So maybe it does work. I'm I'm just I don't know. I'm just a little bit skeptical of their defense just because they haven't been good to this point in the season. And Powell is another player who's not really known for his defense. So I, I, I'm just I'm skeptical that they can make it work. But again, I'm. I'd like to be proven wrong. I do like this Blazers team. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. They're going to put up numbers. But um, yeah, I, I just don't know if he was the answer for them.
But what else were you going to do if you're the Blazers? And, I, and, and I'm not putting this on. But what else? If you were the Blazers, there's not much you can do with the roster as currently constructed unless you make the big move of, of trading C.J. McCollum, right? Like at this point. So why not lean into going all in and and, and yeah, saying, maybe. you know what? We can we can build an offensive juggernaut and, and try to you know outscore teams. Um, this is in and, – and to the PowerPoint, I think – you know the sometimes size, sometimes size uh, on on paper could be a little deceiving because yes, maybe Trent is a bigger player when you just stand him up, uh, you know, in terms of measurements. But I think Powell plays a more inside game, so to me, oh, he it definitely makes him does. A bigger, he definitely does uh, a bigger player. He's a better slasher. He's a better finisher around the rim. And the Blazers, did, you know, as as good as they are offensively, the one thing that I think would hurt them in the postseason is especially when Nurkic is not playing, they just don't have anybody that's going to take shots within six feet or, or even get to the rim as, as, as easily as they, you know, a Norm Powell can. Once you load up on Damian Lillard, you know, he, he is going to be able to, you know, shoot from outside efficiently, but you don't see many plays where Lillard is, is going downhill too often. And that would have been the same situation for Trent. He's not going downhill too often, and he's getting one-on-one coverage for the most part because so much attention is being played to Dame and CJ. So, Powell is coming to a situation where I think with the Raptors we saw the best of him. This is the peak I think he'll he'll ever be uh, as a player, and that's not a bad thing because he could he sustained this peak for another two years. Um, but he also played with, and this is no disrespect to Kyle Lowry. I don't think he's played or or Fred VanVleet. I don't think he's played with a point guard um, or or a, or a guard for that matter as dynamic or scorer as Damon Lillard since since Kawhi left. Right, like I don't think he's been on the floor with someone as good as yeah, Damian funny. Lillard has been, or can attract as much attention as he can since Kawhi left. And that's no disrespect to Siakam either. It's just that Damian Lillard is just another—he's he's his own floor spacer. He's like Steph Curry. There's going to be so much more space for Powell to 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 break down defenders. And if he was doing what he was doing with the Raptors with even more space, he's going to be a dangerous scorer in the postseason. I think it's going to be tough out. For them, and I think he does take a lot of pressure off Dame and CJ to have to go out there and both score sixty uh, combined. Um, they now have another guy that can go out there and get twenty uh, and efficiently. I think that's the the key part is the efficiency because Melo's giving you twenty some nights, but it, it, it's not going to be efficient. Yeah, uh, on on Larry Van Vliet and Siakam, I mean that they're, they're all two way players, right? That that mm-hmm. that's kind of their specialty. Um, Siakam mm-hmm. obviously is the kind of grooming to be a number one option on offense, but either way, they're two way players. Damian Lillard's one of the best offensive players in the league, so I don't think that's disrespectful to uh, to put it that way at all. Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting. I again, I'm you're clearly higher on this trade than I am. I'm I'm just a little bit skeptical, so I don't know if I would have them as clear winners on the day because again, I, I almost I I, I would have liked to see them. I feel like Aaron Gordon would have been a better addition for them in terms of filling the gaps and covering up some of their more glaring weaknesses. But uh, I, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it works out because Powell is having one hell of a season. And it's also worth noting, by the way, he is almost certainly going to be an unrestricted free agent in the offseason because he has a player option in his contract. For next season, that's only about $11 million. And there's been <laughs> reporting from ESPN Zach Lowe saying that executives around the league think he could get up to as much as $20 million uh, per year on his next contract. So that's going to be another element to kind of track with this because the Blazers have already committed a lot of money to, to Lillard, CJ obviously, Nurkic is on their books. So... Um, how far this team can go could kind of frame what they do in the offseason. So that, that just adds to kind of all the intrigue. Yeah, it, it really does. By the way, the Portland Trailblazers uh, right now, 
as we as we look it up, they are dead last in points in the paint per game. Um, hmm. It's at under forty. Uh, points are 36.6 only the Orlando Magic in that vicinity uh, they struggle to get points in the paint and leading their team with 10 of those points 10 out of the 36 is Enos Cantor what does that tell you about that team they they just don't have anyone that's uh has been tough inside to uh to get buckets and I think Norm Powell can can definitely help there, uh, one of the good slashers. And I think more of those points in the paint for Norm Powell might come in transition, as you mentioned. Uh, I think that yep. will help, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what, what he's able to bring to the table. Um, all right, other players, other teams around the league. By the way, Norm Powell, quickly, last one on, on him, seven points per game uh, for the Toronto Raptors in the paint uh, when he was there. Um, we'll leave the, the Blazers alone because you know I love them. I could talk about them. I, I know you do. The uh, L.A. Clippers, I think, had an interesting trade deadline uh, by giving up Lou Williams. They couldn't do much, but they get back Rajon Rondo, who is having a terrible season uh, or, or had been having a terrible season in Atlanta. Um, they desperately needed a poor guard, them meaning the Clippers. Do you think that that trade moves the needle enough for me to start believing in the Clippers? Me specifically. That's a That's a tough question because I feel like I do feel like the Clippers needed a point guard. I feel like they needed someone who could kind of get things flowing at the end of games when they kind of that their offense can kind of get into stuck in mud a little bit. And having a floor general out there to kind of tell people where to go, get the ball moving, and everything like that. I think that does help. And Rondo kind of ticks that box. The interesting thing about it is, like you said, he's having not a great season, or he didn't have a great season with the Hawks. But I almost feel like you have to just throw it out the window because as we've seen what feels like every single year, regular season Rondo is different to playoff Rondo. And for this trade to work, you have to just buy into that and believe in it. Because the flip side of this too is Lou Williams has been a fantastic regular season uh, player for his entire career, but he, he struggled. His efficiency just falls off cliff in the playoffs. I mean, for his career, he's shooting 39.3% from the field in the playoffs and 25.6% from three. So you're basically switching a really good regular season player for a uh, someone who has a history of of playing much better than they do in the playoffs. So I I, I still don't know. This is another one of those trades where like I, I don't know if it moves the needle enough for me. But I mean, Rondo was fantastic in the playoffs last year for the Lakers. I mean, they, they wouldn't have won. I don't think it's unfair to say they wouldn't have won the title without him because it felt like he swung some very important games for them with his two way play. So. Did, did that do the job? Did I did I sway you there? I think you did. Um, well, I was swayed anyway. I, okay. I Rondo has been awful in Atlanta. Or uh, it, it, let's just put it bluntly, he hasn't been good. And I really do think that that has to do with the atmosphere that was in Atlanta. This is a team that he knew, um, you know, has no shot of winning an NBA title. And it wasn't like he was blowing the the the, the world away in LA last season either up until they got to the postseason. And I've learned now to to really believe in this playoff Rondo stuff. I, I think there is some real value there. Some players are just 16-game players. You know, Some players are just 16-win players, and Rondo's not an, an 82-gamer. He, he's, he's a guy that's going to come in and, and, and really play well for you know the 16 wins that you need to win an NBA title. And I think the Clippers needed that. I also think that Kawhi Leonard needed that more than anybody else on the Clippers roster. I think when Kawhi Leonard looks at that Clippers roster prior to Rondo arriving, he looks around at a lot of guys that haven't done anything 
significant in the postseason. Paul George probably the closest uh, as being a you know to him as being a guy that nearly got to the finals a couple times, went toe to toe with LeBron, and, and really LeBron's well. People thought it was LeBron's prime. We we, we now know that that's still still <laughs> that's going been, on. His prime's been lasting for like twelve years at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't even know what to call LeBron's prime truly. Uh, but it, he Paul George was going toe to toe with him, and we haven't seen that from Paul George in in a very long time since that performance. And last year in the bubble, when Kawhi was trying to lean on Paul George, we we know what happened there, and there was no one else on the Clippers roster that could step up. I think the best player in Game Seven outside of Kawhi was Jamichael Green. I don't think Kawhi looks around that roster and says to himself, now with Rondo there, he knows he at least has someone else that has been there and done it and also proven that he can perform in the last five minutes of a big game, whether it's getting a stop, whether it's getting to the free throw line, whether that's randomly hitting a three that Rondo doesn't seem to hit. But Rondo shot, you know, in the last two playoff runs, the last one with New Orleans, and with the Lakers last year on the way to the championship, he shot forty percent from three. You know he, mm-hmm. he's going to he's going to knock down the ones that are available to him. Now he can struggle from the foul line, but he's going to knock down the ones that are open and available to him. So this is a uh, I think Kawhi needed someone um, to look around the locker room. So it's not always him because we know he's not the most vocal guy. Um, we know he's not the mo you know the, the, the raw raw type. But I think Rondo does provide a little bit of that and also kind of will be the secondary voice to Kawhi or even maybe the first voice that Kawhi can back up and say, hey, I've been in this situation before. Yeah, maybe we're down 2-1 to a team we shouldn't be down to 2-1 to, but it doesn't matter. They got to get to four before we get to four. And, you know, in, 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 he, he may not be able to play the 30 minutes or 35 minutes of when he was in his prime in Boston or even 40 minutes in, in some of those playoff series, but at least he's going to give you 24 minutes and those minutes – are, are going to be important to what the Clippers do, even more so than than what Paul George brings to the table, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and, and the hope being that he'd close games for them, right? You'd have Rondo, he Kawhi, PG. Um, I'm assuming Morris is in the picture there, and then you go through Ibaka or Zubac, depending on what you need at the center position. So that that's probably their their five man closing unit now. Yeah, I mean it's I. <laughs> It, it's interesting because obviously the, the all the reporting for the Clippers heading into the trade deadline was this is what they wanted, right? Like they wanted a point guard and one, the first name I feel like that was mentioned for them is Kyle Lowry. Obviously they, that was just going to be, that was going to be a stretch just because they didn't have the assets to to make it worth Raptors while to, to make that trade. The next one was Lonzo Ball. That was reported by the New York, uh, Mark Stein in the New York Times that they were kind of interested in him and trying to, what seemed like they were looking to make a deal for him or find a deal for him at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I do think those two players almost stylistically make more sense. Um, but yeah, if, if you can get playoff Rondo for this Clippers team, I think he can make a difference. And that was, to me, the one position where they didn't upgrade. So how much he moves the needle, I don't know. We will find out. But I do think it's a positive for them. The other thing is that uh, I think is, is a big factor in this is the Clippers defensively this season has, have kind of been coasting. And we've been told ever since this unit was assembled, um, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, you, you throw in the Pat Bevs, that this team would be locked down. And the last two years, and they, I think they were a top five defense last year, but this year they haven't been that. And I think when you add Rondo to the mix and you remove Lou Williams, those minutes where Lou Williams is on the floor and teams were hunting him in the playoffs, 
You can't do that against Rondo. Now, he's not going to give you the offense, maybe not, the offense, uh, you know, floor spacing, especially that Rondo, that, uh, Ron, that Lou Williams was giving you, but he's not going to be a slouch defensively. And if you can swap out the minutes where, you know, you want someone to trust, a point guard, a shorthand point guard to trust, and you add Rondo in there, and, and it's not Pat Bev, uh, or you know Pat Bev is playing off the ball, and you still have two really tough guards that are running around and chasing guard or even defending. Where Kawhi and PG can even rest defensively a little bit, I think that's uh, that's huge for uh, for the Clippers. Like imagine a lineup where, on paper, you have Serge, Paul George, Kawhi, Pat Bev, and Rondo now defending. Those two, those last two, Pat Bev, Rondo, and maybe even Serge, they're probably not peak. Um, you know, defensive abilities of where they were in their prime, but they're still long, very smart defenders. So that unit should be tough to score against in the postseason. And by the way, the it's I also think the Clippers having Luke Kennard, who has been up and down this season, but he's had a few really strong games for them recently, including that 20-point game where he, he didn't miss a shot against the Hawks to lead that comeback. And then uh, he had a big game against the Bucks last night as of this recording. Having he's like the other guard off that bench, you can kind of fill that scoring gap left by Lou Williams. Obviously, he's not the same caliber of player as Lou Williams is. Um, he's not as reliable and everything like that. But I do think it that trade almost helps them a little bit getting a pure point guard and knowing that they still have that like scoring, shooting, ball handling, sixth, seventh man they can kind of bring off the bench to give them that that scoring punch. So I think that helps as well. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about the Bulls quickly. Um, okay. The Bulls probably made the biggest roster adjustments they they really just went into orlando and said give me your best player and orlando said all right just give me back a couple you know promising parts and and, and that happened uh the bulls a team that made that move it felt like it felt like a move that you would make if you're chicago if you feel like you're one step away from being a championship contender that's the type of deal that i feel like like vucevic is a really good player last two years he's been an all-star having the best year of his career and the Bulls are not anywhere close to being a championship contending team, but they went and made the move anyway. Where do you sit? How do you feel about what the Bulls actually did, and what do you think it's going to look like long term? Well, the Bulls have one of the longest active playoff droughts, don't they? I don't, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think it's like six or seven seasons. So I think mm-hmm. with them being 10th in the Eastern Conference right now, this is a move that you would think gives them kind of the boost they need to really get into the into the playoffs whether it's in the play-in tournament or potentially moving up because there's the, I mean there's still very few games it feels like every team except for the the 76ers the Nets and the Bucks are separated by like two games in these two conference standings right now even the Raptors who have lost what 12 of their last 13 are somehow still in the playoff mix so th- there's a chance this team's going to move up I like you said, I, I this doesn't this to me this doesn't establish them as as title contenders nowhere near it. But I do think they can be kind of a frisky playoff team because offensively, I mean, Vucevic has never really he's never played with a guard as dynamic as Zach Levine, unless I'm forgetting someone. And the same thing for Zach Levine. I mean, he played with Carl Anthony Towns early in his career, but I think the two of them have the potential to fit in really well offensively. I mean, Vucevic has been one of the best pick and roll scorers in the league this season. He's a legitimate pick and pop threat. Having that that next to Zach Levine um, will be dynamic. He, he's also a good post-up scorer. He's not the most efficient post-up scorer, but he's someone who can take advantage of mismatches. You can run some plays for him. He's a good passer. So I think offensively, I think the two of them, their two all-stars complement each other really well. And while it hasn't 
you know, they haven't hit the ground running yet. I think they've lost their first two games since the trade deadline. I do think it's only a matter of time until everything starts to click. The problem is the other end of the court because Vucevic, I think he's a decent defender. Um, he has size. I think he's smart. He can make some plays around the basket. But you have two, your two best players right now are not very good defenders, quite frankly. So I think that's that's going to be the big thing for that team moving forward is kind of can they cover for those weaknesses against the best teams in the league? Because we obviously know if they face the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, the 76ers, the Bucs, a team like that, that are just so, so, so much firepower offensively, they're obviously going to run into trouble. But I, I do like what they did. I think it's, it's going to be a really good one-two punch in the league right now that is full of dynamic duos and big threes. So um, I, I do like the fit offensively between the two of them. I, I just don't know if it, it, I don't know how much it moves them up in the Eastern Conference, but I do think it moves them up a little bit. Yeah, they have not made, they've made the playoffs once since 2016. So it hasn't been all okay. uh, sunshine over there in Chicago. Um, they are 17th in defensive efficiency right now, uh, which isn't uh, which isn't good if you're scoring at home. I actually do like the trade, though, all those things being said, uh, and not because of what they're trying to do right now. I think Chicago making this trade sent a signal. It may have sent a signal to the league saying, hey, we think we can compete right now or at least get into the playoffs and and do something right now, whereas I think that this trade might be, depending on what they do this offseason, we'll really find out what this trade is all about at that point Um, because they got their two good players. They got their two guys that can go out and get you 20 points per game. Vucevic is, a, is is almost a 20 and 10 guy, um, you know, and, and and Zach Levine is one of the top scorers. It's has turned into the top, one of the top scorers uh, in the NBA. So I think now if you fill out the roster with the guys around them, um, you know, the, the 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 guys that can play defense, the guys that can knock down the corner three to give them space to operate. Um, what happens with Larry Markin in this offseason is going well, to be that's so the big interesting. One. It's going that's to be the so big interesting. One. Yeah, he, he, he is the uh, whether it's a sign and trade or whatever happens with him is going to be so interesting. And it'll tell you so much because that is a guy who's only 23 years old. Um, I don't think we've really, truly figured out what or how good he can be because he's shown so many flashes in the past that he can be a great, a great player. Um, and we, we just haven't seen it pan out. And maybe he, he figures it out. You know, maybe they keep him and he figures it out and becomes that third guy. Um, behind Vucevic and, and and Levine, so now you know the the pecking order kind of slots down with a guy Vucevic shows up because prior to him, I think everyone was kind of looking at Markin and saying, hey, you know, Levine's going for thirty every night, or close to it. Where are you at? You know, why aren't you giving us more? And he's still having a, a decent season. He's averaging seventeen, shooting close to fifty percent from the field, and 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 forty from three. So he's still having a decent season, but it just it's it felt like empty calories, right? Like it, it didn't feel like it's moving the needle. So. It's going to be interesting what they do with Chicago moving forward. I do think they do need a little bit more veteran presence on that team outside of Vucevic. I know Sadoransky's there, and you know how I love Thomas Sadoransky. I do, but he, he's just not—he's just not the guy. Um, Thaddeus you know, Young is big for them as well, though. He is, um, and, but he's but also both on agent, the court. correct? He—I believe he has a partial guarantee in his contract for next season. I believe right. he does. I could be okay. wrong on that, but so so he's a so he's a guy that they would hope to keep. Um, I think they just need a little bit more grit on that team uh, going forward. So, yeah, you're right. He has a partial guarantee for for 2021-22 of six million dollars. So that's just uh, just under half of what his actual salary of 14 million could be in uh, in the following season. So, it'll be interesting what they do with him as well. So that's 
at Chicago, I, I think because they made the, the biggest move maybe of the day, um, we, we, we needed to spend some time with them. Uh, the biggest non-move of the day was with the Toronto Raptors, and uh, Kyle Lowry still on the team for a team that, Scott, I have not, I'll be honest, I've not been impressed with. Um, you know, they, we, We've talked off-air a lot about the Toronto Raptors, but here Too we much. are now. With, with, the Raptors, <laughs> with the Raptors 47 games into the season they are 11 games under 500 and yet there feels like there's still hope that this team could make the playoffs because that is a realistic thing uh, they're a couple wins away from getting back into the 10th seed and by the way folks the 10th seed means you have a shot of really getting into the playoffs with that play-in tournament so the, the Lowry non-move where do you sit on it now that you have have had a little bit of time to digest it well, it's, it's just hard to know even less than a week removed from it because there's been so much reporting about what teams were and weren't willing to give up in a potential deal for Kyle Lowry and kind of what was, you know, where was the line drawn? So we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but Lowry was the one player for me who seemed like he was going to be available at the trade deadline who could have really shaken thing, shaken the title race up in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference because I think Philly could have really used him because he's the the one thing it feels like they're missing is kind of a playmaking guard who can take some pressure off of Ben Simmons but also you know play off of Joel Embiid and just give them something when in the half court that they really miss um, Tobias Harris has been filling that gap a little bit but having one more player I think would have really helped them um, the Heat I think he would have fit in perfectly with them on both ends of the court. Kyle Lowry feels like a Heat player. Like he, he just fit in like a glove with the Heat culture. And I right. think he would have given them quite a good big three that could go toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the league. And then at the last minute, it seemed like the Lakers were in the running to get him. And thinking of, you know, Kyle Lowry, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and then also Andre Drummond, who they picked up. Like that that's, that's a very interesting team going into the playoffs. So I do think... I mean, I'm not surprised that the Raptors held on to him because I think even like a week before the trade deadline, there was a report saying that the Raptors weren't going to trade him. And obviously that a lot changed in those days leading up to it with the Raptors struggling as much as they have uh, been lately. But um, yeah, it would have been, he was, he felt like he was the one piece who could have kind of shaken things up this season. And with the way that the Raptors are going, I mean, they've got a big offseason ahead of them because now they don't have to necessarily worry about Nolan Powell in free agency, but Kyle Lowry is going to be a free agent. So how they navigate that, do they see him still in their long-term plans? Are they just going to let him walk kind of like Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, Marcus did, and Danny Green as well, um, which would be a huge loss for them, obviously. So that the Larry not being moved has just so many, I feel like it's impacted so many different things both this season and in the off season. So um, there's still a lot to be determined there, but it, it, it kind of would, it did feel like Kyle Larry could have, could have been someone who could have shaken up the title race this season. Yeah. I was so prepared for Larry to leave uh, Toronto that yeah. it kind of shocked me that he didn't. But the more I think about it, I don't think that it, it really puts the Raptors in a tough spot. I think it would have put them more of in a more of a tough spot if they had kept Norman Powell because he was the one that they just couldn't afford to keep and overpay. Um, I know Lowry's value uh, or, or money-wise is not looking to take a pay cut, but I do think that there's a relationship there where he and Masai Jerry in the front office will figure it out, and if it comes to it where he might end up in a, in a, in a Miami or – or in LA, if or or even a Philly, I, I can see a scenario where Larry says, "You know what? Um, you guys did right by me. Let me make sure that it's a sign and trade situation." Or, um, you know, it, even if there is no trade partners out there for Toronto, they resign him, and you know, 
we'll go through this whole song and dance all over again. You put Lowry on a two-year deal, and then all of a sudden, at next year's trade deadline, I think he still holds the same value that the, the, the teams that are looking for a point guard of his caliber that is, as you've said many times, is pretty much plug-and-play anywhere in the league. He's still going to be valuable, and maybe there's a better offer at that point that you pull the trigger on. So I, I do think that it's it's not as bad as maybe Raptor fans or, or some people looking from the outside looking in might think because I think Lowry's value, what it is today, is going to hold the same weight a year from now and maybe two years from now um, if they sign him to a longer-term deal and it's the last run of his contract it, it, just because he's such a plug-and-play character. Now, where, where if you're looking at from the Raptors' team perspective – what that means is that you know it, it's, it might take a little longer for you to hit that reset button because this team is not anywhere near uh, reaching the heights that they reached in 2019. But that's okay. You just won a championship. This you lost the best player off that championship team. This is what happens. You know when you when you kind of go all in and you have to restock the cupboard a little bit. So um, they got a couple draft picks, uh, and we know that their development system uh, is is really good. We've seen Norman Powell now leave that system and, and, and take off. We've seen what Chris Boucher has been doing, uh, a, a guy that basically didn't play basketball uh, up until his late teenage years and now is one of the best players in the league coming off the bench. Um, so it, it, they can develop talent. Fred Van Vliet has turned himself into a borderline all-star. They can develop talent. So uh, you know, those second-round picks that they got on deadline day, they do hold some value uh, because that Raptors 905 system – continues to you know stock up on talent and they could replenish and maybe they don't maybe they don't get all-stars that turn into pascal siakam but at least they get good solid contributors that like a norm Powell, like a fred van vliet and that keeps you afloat and, and keeps you in that playoff contention so that when there's a disgruntled all-star out there or uh you hit on a, a lottery pick that you weren't expecting to have that's when you take off and get back to the next level i mean you look at pretty much every player on their roster and it just goes to show i mean it's a testament to the development team because it's not only just one player it's it's basically everyone and i will say this this raptors team it's been a really disappointing season and who knows what the next 20 30 games how they're going to play out for them like do they just basically tank the rest of the way or do they actually make a push to make the playoffs like there's no way of knowing right now i feel like especially after they didn't trade kyle larry at the trade deadline but this doesn't feel like a team that's going to just hit the reset button because they have Fred VanVleet under contract, um, signing him in the offseason. He's right. a fantastic two-way player. Like you said, a borderline all-star. Pascal Siakam started in the all-star game last year. You know what I mean? And he's fallen off a Like, he got off to a slow start this season, but he's having another very good all-star caliber season. And um, OG Ananobi, I, I think I'm I'm leading the OG Ananobi fan club. I think you know that. I love him. He still has a long way to go offensively. But you have three really good two-way players. With the sorry, three really good two-way players. The three of them, and it shouldn't take. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to add pieces around them. Like we saw with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, that team was a little bit different, but they that led to a pretty quick adjustment just because they have so many different versatile two-way players on their team that you can kind of fit. And plug anyone in there so i i don't think this team is heading towards like a big reset this kind of seems like i don't want to say a wasted year for them but it it kind of like feels like it's going that direction and if they get a high draft pick out of it i just wouldn't be surprised if they kind of hit the ground running and i'm more like the team we expect them to be this season next season if that makes sense yeah i i i do think they're a little further away than 
you believe they are. But well, they need a center. I will say that they need a center. They I think I think having like a something. a starting caliber center would actually make Golly. a huge difference to this team. So it's been uh, rough for Mr. It Williams. has been. It has. <laughs> Speaking of centers, though, uh, before we close out here, Nikola Jokic has been incredible this season. Um, I was a little late on the the Jokic train, I I will admit. Uh, Early in his career, I I didn't see much um, that I really, truly respected because I I thought that the the narrative around him was so driven by advanced numbers um, that I couldn't really get along with it until I started to watch him play more. And I think that a lot of that was... Uh, just my ignorance to him. Um, I watched him play more, and then it, I turned into a fan, uh, really through you encouraging me to watch him. Um, and then also him just performing as well as he did in the postseason. Um, you know, it, it, he, he, he showed up in the postseason, um, and this year he has just turned into one of the best players in the NBA. Um, and I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. He's almost averaging a triple-double, uh, 26, 11, and 5. Uh, one and a half steals. He's getting better defensively. At least he's trying to. <laughs> Very efficient, almost shooting 57% from the field and 42 from three. He's been incredible. Uh, is he the MVP, though, of the NBA? Um, I, to be determined. I, I think he's I think he's the front runner right now. I think with the injuries to Joel Embiid and LeBron James. What holds James, you back from saying that? Because is it weird that we're just putting Nikola Jokic at the, at the class of that because he's not LeBron? Like, I no, think if, if no, you... No, I think he's... No, I think he's played... You, you look at every single... I mean, you look at just his stats, and that says a lot. Okay, you look at the impact that he has on this team, that says a lot. If you look at pretty much any advanced stat, it screams that he's been the best player in the league this season. So why a lot of hesitation? Did. Because I just think it's such a crazy and loaded MVP race this season. Like, you can't discount what Damian Lillard is doing in Portland, okay? I, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to talk about LeBron and Embiid here because I think they've been the front runners all season long. So we don't have to spend time talking about them. But you have Lillard, you have Steph Curry, you have James Harden, who's done a tremendous job in Brooklyn since that trade. Basically averaging a triple-double, um, breaking franchise records, keeping that team afloat, not even afloat. They, they, they feel like they just win every game, regardless if Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant are on the court, just because of what James Harden is doing there. You also have Giannis, who's putting up numbers that he did the last couple seasons when he won MVP, and the Bucks have lost three in a row now, but they, they're just coming off, what, a nine-game winning streak, and are really pushing for that number one seed in, in, the, in the East. So I think right now, yes, I think Jokic is the front runner for MVP, but the fact that the Nuggets are fifth in the Western Conference, I think that 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 takes a, that opens the door just a little bit, a little bit to some of those other players to kind of sneak in. So, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm I like to think of myself as potentially the, the biggest Nikola Jokic fan. I actually wrote an article last year on NBA.com about why I thought he was going to win MVP last season, and he he didn't get off to a very good start. But like you said, um, he was absolutely incredible in the playoffs for the second year in a row. So. It's not surprising to me that he's playing to this level and that he's in this conversation, but I just do think this MVP race has been so crazy this season and there's so many people playing at such a high level that I, I just can't definitively say like he is the MVP right now because things can change so quickly. Well, if you're not going to say it, I am. Nikola Jokic has been the MVP of this league um, this year. He's been the most consistent player. He's been there for his team. Uh, he's played at a, a, an above 
level for his standards uh, this season, taking his game to another level. The record is starting to come around in the tough Western Conference. He's had to deal with the injuries around him. Um, he's now going to have to uh, integrate a new player on his team in, in a huge trade. It's not like Aaron Gordon's not a small piece to bring into the roster. Like It's going to be huge, and a lot of that is going to fall on Jokic, making sure that he gets him involved. He's elevated everyone around him in terms of his uh, his, his passing ability, the uh, you know the ability to get guys open. When they when players play with Jokic on the floor, they're just better offensively. Period. He's done all of that. James Harden is in the conversation, but he, we we know what happened in Houston. Some people are going to hold that against him. I personally wouldn't. But even then, he's still missing more games. I, I think he's he's starting to miss games now, and also he's playing with incredible talent around him. Despite not having Kevin Durant, he he has Kyrie Irving, and I don't think that Jokic has anyone to that caliber around him. Uh, when you talk about LeBron and and uh, and and Embiid. Both of them have been incredible. Uh, unfortunately, injuries have have plagued both of those guys, and you know they, they're they're just you just can't help that. Um, when, you, when you're talking about Embiid specifically, uh, his team hasn't struggled when he, he's not in the lineup. They're, they've been fine. I, I think you know Denver would self destruct if if uh, if Jokic wasn't playing. Um, you know the, the amount of games that he's playing. Uh, so that that factors into things. You look at uh, Damian Lillard, he's been great. Um, I actually think he, I would vote for him second uh, if I had a vote here. But it's for me, it's going to come down to record between uh, Lillard and Jokic. And I think that the Denver Nuggets will finish with a better record than the Portland Trailblazers. So um, right now, today, Nikola Jokic is the MVP. And I think that if he doesn't win it, it means that something – went terribly wrong around the Denver Nuggets and all, or he, he, he got hurt and unfortunately wasn't able to finish out the season. I'm with you, by the way. I, I do think he's the front runner right now. I was just saying that I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to win MVP just because well, uh, yeah, it has been such a crazy that. race. That, that's all I'm that. saying. He hasn't missed the game. He's been incredible all year. He came you, into, They crushed him for, for, for not being in shape last year. He's fixed all of that, and he's been awesome. They, they, I mean, they, they're just – they're just, I don't know, like, uh, I, and I didn't even get to Giannis, but he, he, Giannis isn't, you know, having the same impact as he had the last two MVP seasons, right? Like, the numbers are there, um, but his team isn't blowing the other teams away, uh, and, you know, they're losing games that, on, in my opinion, they shouldn't lose. Like, they, there's no reason why they should be on a three-game losing streak um, with the talent they have on, on that roster in the East on top of it. So, I'm, I'm going Jokic. No, I, I mean, I agree. I think he's the front runner right now. I was just saying it's it's a crazy race this season, so I'm not ruling anything out. But um, one, one thing real quick about Embiid, by the way, I, when he was playing, so up until his recent injury, the Sixers just fell off a cliff without him on the court. And I think that was a big thing for his MVP case as well. So it's it's a big deal for them to have turned it around and actually keep their head above water without him. But prior to his injury, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I just, you know, just wanted to throw that out there. But um, one crazy thing, Jokic, take the on-off numbers with a grain of salt because they don't say everything, but they can give you an indication of certain things. And with him on the court this season, the Nuggets are scoring 120.8 points per 100 possessions. Without him, 103.2. <laughs> so nearly 20 points per 100 possessions better offensively with Jokic on the court. And if that doesn't tell you how incredible he's been and the impact he has on this team, I don't know what will. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. Uh, they uh, 
yeah, we don't have a vote, but he would get our vote. Both of the, the, Look, the, the thing that's MVP. crazy, the crazy thing about him with me is just, like you mentioned it, he's just so consistent. And it really does feel like, like no matter who he plays on a night-to-night basis, just nobody has an answer for him. It feels like he's he's figured everything out, whether it's mm-hmm. his, you know, being able to pick and pop out to the three-point line at an efficient rate to, to beat drop coverages. You can't switch anyone onto him because he just bulldozes you in the post. And if you shade, if you give him any sort of like double team shading towards him or anything, he's gonna find the open man 10 times out of 10. And like you, you talked about it as well, the fact that this team can add an Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline and really, I have zero concerns about how he's going to fit on this team. Again, that's just a testament to Jokic because it all revolves around him and this team, this culture that he built and the way that the system runs around him. And it really just makes it so easy to plug and play guys like that in here. So, um, I mean, I said it before, but I love Jokic. I love what he's doing. And it, it, would, be, it would be a great thing to see him win MVP because he's, he's been incredible this season. He's definitely played at that, that kind of level. But... All I'll say is there's still, what, 20 or 30 games to go? So these, it felt like LeBron, um, it felt like LeBron kind of got the MVP race interesting at this point of last season. I could be wrong, but, um, you know, just before the, the, the season got shut down, it felt like he was starting to gain ground on Giannis. So it'll be interesting to see if, if it is a Dame or, or someone else can kind of do that in these remaining games. Over, over the last 30 years, um, I don't think there has been there's maybe been two MVPs over the last 30 years, in my opinion, that haven't that have won the award without be, without scoring being their primary sort of weapon. Um, and Jokic is his his points per game. It is what it is. He's he's having an incredible season. He can score the basketball. But I think his ball movement and his his ability to find guys. He probably leads the league in hockey assists. I'm not going to look that up. But he he I mean he's he's he should be up there. Um, but I think the biggest weapon that Jokic has is that every time he touches the ball, his team's getting a, a good shot. And I think mm-hmm. over the last 30 years, only two guys have won MVP that that is, you know, that would be un- fall under that category. And that's Magic Johnson in 1990 and uh, the back to back years with Steve Nash. I think if you go through the entire list of 30, 30 years MVP winners, all of the other guys, scoring was such a huge impact to, you know, what, what they, you know, meant to their team. Um, and I don't think that Jokic just like, I, I think Jokic can go games scoring 15 points and still have the exact same impact as he had um, if he scores 30. I mean, you saw it in uh, the, the game the other night against the Hawks. It felt like he wasn't looking for a shot at all offensively. And yet he had, his, it felt like he just had complete command of everything that was happening on offense for the Nuggets. It, it is funny that you say that though, because I mean, he's averaging 27 points, shooting 57 42 uh, 43 and 87 splits mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. it's just absurd but it it almost reminds me of of the whole like lebron conversation his whole career and that's not to compare the two but like we've never we've never talked about lebron as a as a as a scorer right like his thing was always he was a, a really good passer he could do a little bit of everything obviously at an insanely high level mm-hmm. but like we've never really talked about lebron as a scorer and yet you look at his numbers he's going to be he could be the all-time leading scorer when his career is over he averages 27 points in his sleep it feels like um it, it feels like a similar deal with Jokic because it, it really is like every night he's not looking to get 30 but he, he just right. he can just because right. he's that talented Maybe I'll add LeBron into that list. You're right. I, I think I think LeBron, Magic, and and Steve Nash. Uh, I think the other winners, uh, and there's a lot of them. All of them obviously headed to the Hall of Fame if they're not already in there. 
they are uh, ethics scoring is their primary uh, you know weapon, and that's that's the reason why we paid attention to them. So Jokic would be a a good site to see uh, someone else um, you know win the award where you're not uh, really focused on them just putting the ball in the basket. Um, that's going to do it for us this week on this edition of NBA Sound System. Uh, reminder, we'll be back right here, 3 p.m. Eastern time next Tuesday, noon Pacific, across the NBA Global Networks. Um, enjoy the week this week. There are some killer games out there. Uh, it just popped into my head, Scott. We went through that whole MVP conversation. We didn't mention Chris Paul once, and the, the, the Phoenix Suns are <laughs> quietly having a great yep. year. And I don't know if that's Chris Paul. I don't know if it's Devin Booker. I don't know who you put there. Maybe that's the reason why we don't mention any of them because both of them are having incredible years. But I would put Chris Paul in the conversation, if, especially if the Phoenix Suns, like I said last week, I think, or the week before, especially if the Phoenix Suns win the West. Uh, regular season record that is how could we not have him in the conversation but that I mean we, we've went enough went long enough for for that um, but uh, yeah the Suns have been incredible so shout out to Chris Paul now we're done uh, yeah, sound system <laughs> if you visit any part of this podcast you can find it on the uh, podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts uh, and, and keep it locked here again Tuesdays 3 p.m. Eastern noon Pacific right here across the NBA Global Networks for Scott Rafferty I am Carlin Gay we will not forget Chris Paul next time but we'll see you next week